Well, two weekends ago, uh, the weekend we got all of that snow that we kind of got hemmed in. Uh, Megan and I, my wife Megan and I, we watched a lot of TV. Uh, Megan is not, she had not yet seen the movie The Black Panther, uh, which is a movie I love, uh, and she asked if we could watch it, and of course I said yes. So we watched Black Panther on Netflix. Have you all seen this film? Uh, it's a movie uh, that has got all kinds of themes and subtexts, a lot of them pertaining to questions of identity and responsibility. Who's the Black Panther? What does it mean to bear the responsibility of that name? What does it mean to belong to this particular family or this tribe? What does it mean to be a Wakandan? Lots of questions about identity uh, and responsibility. Later on, as I was watching more television, this time SNL, I was stuck in between sketches uh, of having to watch all these advertisements. And one that just kept recurring was this ad for Ancestry.com. The questions implicit in the ad were, strangely, a lot of the same ones that were raised uh, in the movie The Black Panther. Who am I? Where do I come from? To whom do I belong? And for only $19.99 a month, Ancestry.com promises to help you find answers to those all-important questions. After watching TV that night, I went upstairs to go to bed. And as I was climbing into bed, I looked at the stack of books that's on my bedside table. The one on top was a book with a yellow cover and this title, The Road Back to You, The Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. And then when I ran into Kelsey uh, the next day and we got a cup of coffee, she was reading a book, The Narcissism Epidemic. And I just kind of had to laugh, right? The point of sort of this short story is that... um, We are a people who are fascinated sort of with ourselves and with these questions of identity and meaning and belonging. Um, We spend lots of time and energy asking questions like, who am I? Where do I come from? What Harry Potter house do I belong to? Right? What's my Pokemon type or my personality type? And on the one hand, uh, these questions make a whole lot of sense. Right? We think a lot about ourselves uh, because we are with ourselves a lot. Right? I can't escape myself. I am with myself wherever I go. I have to live with me all the time. But considering that this is true, not just for me, but true for me, but it's true for you too, that we are with ourselves 100% of the time, you would think that we would have answered these sort of basic fundamental questions a long time ago. Who am I? What does it mean to be me? Right, considering that we are with ourselves all the time, we would think that we would know. But the truth is, is we don't. We haven't yet figured this out. At least most of you in this room haven't. You're still sort of asking this question. Who am I? What makes me, me? What is my true identity? You know, what gives me a sense of self-worth? How do you answer those questions? To whom or to what do you turn? There are, I think, two places that you commonly look, uh, but I want to conclude tonight by suggesting a third. I think the first place that we look to, or in some ways even find our identity, uh, is in the names that we get from other people. This makes a lot of sense, right? We enter into this world, and as soon as we do, a name is put on us. It's put on us by our parents, right? 
the role and the influence that our parents play in shaping our identity and giving us a sense of self and giving us a sense of self-worth is hard to overstate. I think more than any other persons on planet Earth, they have just a profound influence on that, on our sense of self-identity, our sense of self-worth. And it starts with them giving us a name. Often the name that they give us is just infused with all sorts of meaning and even carries some weight of expectation. I know that's true of Willa. When we named her, we intentionally called her Willa. It's a family name, but it means defender and protector. And for us, that really is who we want her to be and to become. Someone who uses her strength to stand up for weak people, right? Not to be a bully, but to be someone who stands up to bullies. And that name that we put on her uh, conveys all of that. She's going to grow up, we hope, uh, into her name. There's a lot of control uh, that our parents have in sort of giving us this sense of self, uh, this identity. It's funny that even at this young age of three, Will is already starting to sort of wrestle with that and push back against that. It was over Christmas time that Willow was introduced to the story of the Nutcracker. Uh, she didn't watch the movie. She got a book. And in the book, the girl, the, the ballerina, is named Clara. And Willow really identifies with Clara. And as we read this to her, she started to go around the house. And she's like, I'm Clara. And of course, I became the Nutcracker. And for a time being, Willa, or Megan was uh, deemed uh, the Mouse King. Uh, you can imagine how that went over. It didn't go over too well. Megan has since sort of graduated to the Sugar Plum Fairy. Uh, but uh, yeah, in our house, Willa, um, is, she wants to be identified as Clara, um, especially uh, when she's getting in trouble. <laughs> She'll say, no, it's not Willa, I'm Clara. Um, but there's this dynamic that's happening uh, in our house right now where she's beginning to try to assert herself and to say, in, sort, in some ways, try to take control over her own identity. I think the, the major theme here, as you'll see, is that we want to be in control of something as intrinsic as to who we are, uh, how we're going to understand ourselves. We want to be in control over our self, of, like our self-worth, uh, because it's scary in some ways to grant that to other people. Our parents put a name on us uh, when we're born, but then we begin to accumulate names uh, as we go through this life, other sorts of names. Beautiful, ugly, stupid, smart. It's not just the names that the parents our parents put on us, it's the names that other people put on us as well that can profoundly shape the ways that we see ourselves, sort of perceive our worth. We said in the playground, right, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What a, what a huge lie. What a stupid thing to say, right? Sticks and stones affect us externally. But words are more powerful and I think in some ways uh, can be more insidious because they don't just latch onto us from the outside. They actually get inside of us, right? For good or for ill, they enter in and they can do lots of good and they can do lots of damage. And this actually should not come as a surprise to us, the power of words. 
Right? On page one of the Bible, we are introduced to a God who speaks the universe into existence. Once there was nothing, but now there is something because God spoke it into being. Right? God creates something out of nothing by the power of his word. He stills the storm by the power of his word. He raises the dead right, by the power of his word. And it says on page one of the Bible that we are made in the image of this same God. That we are made in the image of a God who speaks and whose words have power. The implications of this should be obvious. The words that come out of our mouths are powerful too, right? They too, right, have the power to give life and to destroy, to create new realities or to knock things into oblivion. We have that power because we're made in the image of a God who has that same sort of power. The names that we call others and the names that they call us, can they, they can lift us up or they can push us down. They can give life, they can destroy. And that freaks us out. That's scary. Because we don't want to see that sort of control, that sort of power to another human being. That someone else might have that kind of control over us. That's a scary prospect. And we will try hard to wrest uh, that kind of control out of them. And to take sort of control into our own hands. To sort of be masters of our own destiny. I think the fact that we, in some ways, uh, find our identity from the outside in before inside out, it scares us for another reason. I think it's because it feels maybe a little bit stifling. Or maybe it's the fear of being located or pinpointed. I don't know about you, but I do not like having um, location services turned on my cell phone, like where you could go on and you could identify my exact location at a time. It's a little bit too much information. I don't want you to know that because it seems to me that that knowledge really is power. And it freaks me out. There's something sinful about it maybe, but also something maybe just smart, (laughs) right? I don't want you to know where I am at all times. I don't want you to, yeah, to, to, to know that. And in some ways, our names connect us. They identify us or they pinpoint us with a particular people at a particular place. For example, the name Willa connects her to my family. Willamina was the name of my mom's mom and my dad's mom. Jane connects her to Janice and to Jana, Megan's mom and Megan's grandma. And Minan groups her with this crazy bunch of human beings that bear this last name, right? That started off in Holland and now live in Canada and the United States. Like she is bound to them. Her name sort of pinpoints her with these people. And that can feel a little bit stifling. Like, I don't want to be connected to these people. I don't want to bear the responsibilities that come by having this name. I want to be in control of my destiny or my identity. And the name that I inherited at birth confines me. It constrains me. And we shirk that. We don't like that. In John 1, we see a man meet Jesus for the very first time. Jesus takes a look at him and says, so you're Simon, son of John. Or what we would say is, hey, you're Simon Johnson, aren't you? Right? Simon Johnson. Right? 
In traditional societies like the one Jesus grew up in, that pretty much summed it up for Simon. Like that little bit of information, your Simon Johnson told us everything that we needed to know about this man. It told us what family he belonged to, like who his dad was. It told us what town he was from. It also probably told us what job that he was going to inherit as he grew up. It's like your daddy's a fisherman, which means that you're going to be a fisherman too. And often last names sort of carried that sense, right? Names like Cooper or Potter or Smith, Rain, Wainwright, um, et cetera, et cetera. All of those were job descriptions before they were last names. They sort of said, hey, this is who you are. This is sort of your role in society. Simon Johnson uh, is the man that Jesus meets. He calls him out. He says, so you're Simon Johnson. And his search for identity really would start and end there. That's all we needed to know about him. It feels stifling. On one hand, it's a little bit comforting because you know that you're connected, but it's a little bit stifling too. We don't like this. We especially don't like this as Americans, right, who want to be independent. Who don't, we do not want anyone telling us who, like sort of putting us in a box and telling us that we have to stay there. Uh, I remember hearing from Tim Keller a story um, about his grandfather who was born in a small town in Italy around 1880. His father was a potter, and his grandfather and great-grandfather were potters too. And in Keller's teenage years, this is Tim's grandpa, he said to his great-grandpa, I don't want to do pottery, I want to do something else. And his father said to him, there's only three things that you can do. You can be a priest, you can be a soldier, or you can be a potter. That's it. Tim Keller's grandpa said, well, why? He says, well, it's because you're a Keller, and this is what Kellers do. And he said, well, I'm just going to go to the next town over. And he's like, it's not going to work. He's like, well, why not? He's like, because at the next town over, they're going to know that you're a Keller, and they know that Kellers can only be priests, soldiers, or potters. And so do you know what his great-grandpa did? Any guesses? He left. He left for America. He got on a boat, and he came to the United States where nobody knew his name. Nobody really cared where he was come from. He really got to start from scratch, Right? And in, in some sense, that's akin to what happens to you when you come to college, right? You're leaving your place of origin. You're moving to a place where nobody really knows your name. They do not know your family. They do not know your place of origin. Frankly, they don't even care. And that is why when you come to college, these questions of identity and these questions of belonging and who am I really get kicked up in the air. And you really begin to ask them, for, maybe for the first time in your life, Disconnected from home, disconnected from your family, what does it mean to be me? But here's what's really interesting. You're not trying to answer that question by connecting yourself necessarily to your place. What you are trying to do, and what I think society at large is really trying to do, the more mobile and transient we become, is we are trying to make a name for ourselves that is disconnected from our past that really is something that we are going to make up on the fly, that we are really going to have control over, that we really get to influence, and isn't really influenced by others. This is the second way that we think about identity formation. If the first way is the names that we get from other people, from our parents, 
from our friends, from the voices sort of speaking into our lives. You are Cassie, or you are Cynthia, or you are Will. You are beautiful, you are stupid, you are ugly. You are supposed to be doing this job or whatnot. We find ourselves in this time, in this place, saying, no, I'm going to make a name for myself. Right? We try to silence the other voices and say, I'm going to decide. It's going to be my voice that says, this is who I am. Right? This is what my life means. This is what my life is worth. I get to decide. A lot of you are doing this right this very minute. Or at least after a large group. It's what you're doing at college. Right? Megan and I watched the movie. Yeah, we've been watching. We've been on a movie kick. (laughs) We watched the movie Bohemian Rhapsody on Saturday night. This past Saturday night. Have you all seen this movie? Okay, do you all... It's, it's based on the, the life of Freddie Mercury, who was the, uh, the lead singer of the 70s, 80s rock band Queen. What I learned uh, in this movie is that Freddie Mercury wasn't actually born with that name. He was born uh, Farouk uh, Bolsara. This was a name given to him by his Indian parents. But at the age of 24, right after college, he changes his name legally to Freddie Mercury, much to his father's chagrin. His father accuses him of distance, distant, distancing himself from his family, from his family name, of divorcing himself from his past, right, from his, his place, from his heritage, that he is quite literally making a name for himself. And while it's not in the movie, we can almost hear Freddie say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I think he's exactly right, Dad. Um, Right? He's trying to make a name for himself. And this is one way to do it. You go down to the courthouse, you fill out a bunch of paperwork, and you make a new name for yourself. Now, I doubt any of you will do that or have done that. It'll happen for Kelsey as she gets married. Right? She's going to at least change her last name. Is that the plan? All right. Not everyone does that either. Right? But... It's one way of going about it, right? You can change your, your name. But there are other ways to do it. And these are probably the ways that you're employing. You're trying to make a name for yourself. And you're doing that really through your performance. And you're trying to make a name for yourself uh, through your, your preferences. A lot of us do this. We try to make a name for ourselves through our performance. We ask this question, who am I? And we answer, I'm the straight-A student. Who am I? I'm the Fulbright scholar. Who am I? I'm the all-star athlete. Fill in the blank. You all work super hard, not not just because you want to learn a lot of things. You're working super hard because you locate your sense of self and your self-worth in your resume in how well you perform and how well you achieve. Your successes as well as your failures are a reflection of who you are, who you think that you are. At first, this sounds really liberating. Like, I'm going to take control of my life. Like, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to prove my sense of worth. But this can very quickly uh, be crushing. Uh, It's the exact opposite of liberating. It's... It's damning. 
If you're going to attach your identity to your performance, you've got to be winning all the time. Otherwise, you're going to feel like a loser. Madonna says this super well. Madonna was like the Lady Gaga of like the 1980s, okay? Uh, she was the precursor to Britney, Britney Spears and all of these pop stars, right? Like she was the groundbreaking one, massive rock star. She pinned her identity on her performance. She might still pin her identity on her performance. But here's what she says uh, in an interview, I think, that it, it was done in 1992. She says, and I quote, My drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. I get the temptation to want to wrest control over our sense of self and self-worth, to not let, have, let anybody else sort of define me. Um, I know the temptation to want to pin my identity uh, on my grades, on my performance, even on, it, it happens to this day, on how well I preach, right? Uh, but there's a real dark side to this that, uh, that comes with that. That if we are going to pin our sense of self uh, and self-worth on our performance, we are, in some ways, um, just becoming slaves. Slaves to our own opinions of ourselves and also just slaves to our resume. It's not liberating. Well, some of you might say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to attach, I'm not going to try to make a name for myself through my performance. I'm going to do it through my preferences. I'm just going to look inside. I don't have to be excellent. I just need to be authentic. I'm going to look inside, and I'm just going to find the stuff that I like. And I'm going to want to bring these things to the surface. Right? I'm, I don't have to be excellent. I just get to choose the things that I like, and then I'm going to tell you to like them too. <laughs> Validate me. Right? Accept me. This, um, this sentiment is very well captured in the, the song, This Is Me, uh, from The Greatest Showman. I, I got to thank Amanda Cunningham for introducing me to this music. It, it happened as we were driving from Atlanta to summer conference. It's like, what is this? It's good. It's the greatest showman. It's a good movie. Um, but there's this amazing song um, that you might sing at the top of your lungs in the shower with your friends as you're driving um, to summer conference. Um, here's the lyric. It says, look out because here I come and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Y'all can sing it better than I can say it. But hear it. Look out, because here I come. I'm marching to the beat. I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. We make a name for ourselves by trying to look in and bring whatever's in out. This is the ethos of our age. I really think that this is uh, the air that we breathe. And as far as I can tell, no one embodies this ethos uh, better than Lady Gaga. Like the, the crazy costumes, the makeup, the wigs, right? 
this is someone who's making a name for herself through performance, to be sure, but also through this idea of like, you do you, and Lady Gaga is Lady Gaga, right? She's making no apologies. This is me. Or so I thought. Until I saw this clip from an HBO special uh, about Lady Gaga. Has any of you seen this? You should Google it. Like, you should look this up on YouTube. It is very interesting. Lady Gaga is about to take the stage at Madison Square Gardens. The place is sold out. There's people doing her hair right before the show and doing her makeup. And Lady Gaga is crying. She says, I think about how I don't give... I'm going to just quote it as it is. I think about how I don't give a shit if people don't understand what I do, so long as my fans understand. But I just sometimes feel like a loser still. It's crazy. Because we're at the garden. But I still feel like a loser kid in high school. And I just got to pick my shit up, pick myself up, and I have to tell myself... I'm a superstar every morning so I can get through this day and be for my fans what they need me to be. Here's a person who has made a name for herself in every way, right? She has given herself the name Lady Gaga. She is as authentic as she can be. And yet at the end of the day, she's saying, I still feel like a loser. I still feel like a loser, kid in high school. That clip on HBO really reminds me of something that another superstar, this one Mariah Carey said in an interview. She's sitting down for an interview. She's in her late 20s. And at this point in her life, in her 20s, she has accumulated more number one hits than anyone in music except for Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And the interviewer asks her, is there anything left for her to accomplish? She sits quietly for a moment and then she replies, happiness. And the interviewer is completely taken back. He says, how can this be true? How with such great success and so much talent and so many hits and so many fans and so much applause and so much money, how can you not be happy? And Mariah Carey doesn't blink. Without a second's thought, she looks at the interviewer and she says to him, I can hear a thousand praises and just one criticism. And the one criticism overrules the thousand praises. Here's what shocks me about these comments from Mariah Carey and from Lady Gaga. We set about making a name for ourselves. We're going to create a sense of self and we're going to create a sense of self-worth that is based on our performance or it's going to be based on our preferences, us being authentic and true to ourselves. But as you can see from both, it doesn't work. It fails. Because even when we succeed in making a name for ourselves, even when we reach the top, when we're selling out the gardens and we have sold 200 million albums and we have 18 million number one singles, even then we cannot create a sense of self or self-worth that is independent of other people's opinions. Even at the end of the day, It's either the voices of the kids in high school who are haunting us and calling us a loser, or it's one word of criticism that is completely overruling a thousand words of praise. 
We so badly want to make ourselves independent of the estimations of others. In some ways, shell us and say, I don't need other people's affirmations. I don't need the opinions or the words of other people. But it will not work. You cannot do this. You cannot create a sense of self that is independent uh, of the words that are going to come from the outside. And here's partially why. The reason this is partially true is because you're made in the image of a triune God. One God who exists in three persons. Three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are constantly delighting in one another and speaking words of love and affirmation and glory into each other's lives. Like, they have experienced that for all of time. Father telling the Son, I love you. You are beautiful. The Son saying back to the Father, I love you too. You are fantastic. And the Spirit sharing in that love. This has been going on for all of eternity. And we are made in the image of a God like this. A God who speaks words of love into one another. Who needs to hear words of love from the other. And because we're made in the image of a God like that, you cannot have a sense of identity that's your own making. You need the voices of other people speaking into your life and telling you that you're good and you're beautiful. And trying to have a sense of identity or worth apart from that, it's, just, it's going to fail, partially because of how you're made. But there's another reason why it's going to fail, and it's this. When you make yourself sort of the judge or the arbiter of your sense of self and self-worth, you're putting your value in the hands of the harshest critic because you are, the, you are the harshest critic of yourself. No one says as many bad things about you than you do. You say things about yourself that nobody else would ever, that you would never say to somebody out loud. Right? You have this weird, complicated relationship with yourself where you love yourself, you think about yourself all the time, but you also hate yourself. You're mean to yourself. And that is why to say, like, I'm going to be the one who gets to decide is, is futile and stupid because of the ways that you relate to yourself. It's just not going to work. You need to have a sense of identity that is going to depend on the voices of others. And again, this opens us up to this terrifying prospect of like, well, who, where is that going to come from? Who is that going to be? If it's not going to be based on my performance and it's not going to be based on my preferences, who, where? And this is where I want to take you to Jesus because there's a third place that we can turn to to get our identity. It's not just the names that we can get from our parents or the names that we can get from our friends. It's not going to be based on our performance or our preferences. There's a name that we get from God. Look at our passage again. Simon Johnson is invited by his brother, Andrew, to come and to check Jesus out. And Simon shows up and Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John. You're Simon Johnson. Okay. But you shall be called Peter. You shall be called Cephas, which means rock. What's happening here is Jesus is identifying him and then he's re-identifying him. Right? Jesus is naming Simon, and then he's renaming him. 
which is to say he's giving him a new identity. On the spot. Jesus is giving Simon a new way of making sense of himself and even the trajectory, the meaning of his entire life. I submit to you tonight that this happens to everyone who encounters Jesus and enters into a relationship with him. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, he completely redefines you. He gives you a brand new sense of self and a brand new sense of self-worth. Something that is grounded and something that is fixed, something that is, pardon the pun, rock solid. You might ask, well, what gives Jesus the right um, to define or to redefine us? Why should we grant him that kind of power or control? Right? Why should we cede that kind of control to Jesus and let him name me and name my worth? And there are two reasons. There's two reasons why you should do that. The first is that Jesus sees us like no one else sees us. Jesus sees us better than our parents see us. Jesus sees us better than our friends see us. Jesus sees us better than we see ourselves. Jesus sees all of us. He sees the really, really good and the really, really bad. The things that we want to put on our resume and the things that we want to hide. But he doesn't just see all of us presently. He sees all of us past, present, and future. He sees us and he sees the whole of us, right, from beginning to end. When he sees Simon, he doesn't say you are a rock. He says you will be called a rock. You're not one right now, but I know that you will be called that someday. You will be this. You will be called this. You will, be, you will become what you are called. Jesus knows who we are. He knows us better than we know ourselves because he sees our entire life story. He knows how it all is going to pan out. He knows us better than anybody else does. And that is why what he says about us matters more than most. Does that make sense? The second reason why you should give, let Jesus sort of define you and redefine you is not just because he knows you, that his name is best, but because he loves you. I want to be careful who I let speak into my life. I want to be careful about the voices that are telling me who I am and what I am worth because I know those words have power. I don't want to just cede that control to any, anybody. Right? I don't want to give that power to somebody who's not deserving of that. I want to give someone control of my sense of self and self-worth if they're good and they're honest and they're trustworthy. Because how we see ourselves and how we sense our worth, it matters a lot. It, it, it affects how we live and affects how we're going to live in the future. The reason why we should let Jesus be the one who controls our sense of self and self-worth is because he sees all of us and he says yes to us at the end of the day. Because he's willing to leave heaven for earth and to take on human flesh and then to go on to a cross so that we can be reconciled with God and reconciled with ourselves. To say nothing about with others and the world. 
This is the kind of person that you want to define you. This is the kind of person you want speaking into your life. Someone who doesn't just see all of you, but who loves all of you. Here's how Jesus sees you. Here's how he wants to relate to you. This is the names that he calls you. He says, you're my child. He says, you're my friend. He says, you're dearly beloved. He says, you're mine. In the movie Toy Story, the latest toy to grace the, the playroom is this space ranger called Buzz Lightyear. Buzz comes out of the plastic packaging with this name and sporting the latest gadgetry. And for most of the film, Buzz is trying to prove to all the other toys that he is, in fact, a real space ranger, that there is, in fact, more to him than meets the eye, that he can fly, that this light on the end of his glove is a laser, and that he's highly skilled in martial arts. But Buzz's confidence is shaken when he sees a TV ad selling toys that look remarkably just like him. It rocks his confidence. He's like, this can't be true. I'm not a toy. I'm a space ranger, gosh darn it. So he marches to a window. He pops out his wings and he attempts to fly. But instead he comes crashing down. And his sense of self and self-worth comes crashing down with him. It's not long after that that he ends up in Sid's house. We remember Sid from last week, (laughs) right? Sid. He's in Sid's house. He's got a firecracker strapped to his back. But it's in the darkness of this moment and in his despondency, right, where he's thinking, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I'm just a toy. It's in that moment that he looks down at the sole of his foot and he sees a name written there. It is a name written in black permanent marker. And the name is Andy. See, Andy has put his name on it. Buzz belongs to Andy. Buzz is Andy's toy. And this realization changes everything for Buzz. And it will change everything for you too when you realize that God has put his name on you that you are made in his image, that you are his child, that you are his dearly beloved, that he calls you mine. Look, there are all sorts of people and there are all sorts of places that you can turn to to look for your sense of self and self-worth. There are names that other people have given you, your parents, there are names that other people uh, have given you, your friends, there are names that other people have given you, they're not your friends, right? There are all sorts of people who are trying to define you and to redefine you. And in a sense of self-protection, you are trying to make a name for yourself. It's not going to work. Come to Jesus. Pay attention to what he has to say. Let his voice be the voice that matters most, that rings loudest in your life. Listen to what he calls you, the names that he puts on you. Let his naming of you be where your ultimate sense of self-worth 
comes from and will come from, we could say, to infinity and beyond. Let's pray.